Okay, welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is uh, a podcast that is dedicated to the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the Gospel. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I tell you, I started doing podcasting before anybody knew that it was podcasting. Uh, I'm proud to say that I am among the first to get started in it. Not the very first, but among the first. And uh, and like I say, back then we didn't even call it podcasting. I don't know what we called it. <laughs> it was so new and everything. And now it seems everybody has their own podcast. Uh, all the celebrities out there on television, they have their own podcast. And so I'm just grateful that I'm one of them and that I am able to use my podcast ministry in order to tell other people about Jesus Christ and to teach the Word of God. Now at the present time, we are involved in a study of 1 Corinthians. And it is proving to be a very interesting study. And uh, in general, this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians is focusing on the subject of worship and behavior in the church. And we actually closed by talking about long hair. Now, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, long hair is a subject that you don't really hear talked about <laughs> in the churches anymore. Um, some people still have long hair, some don't. And uh, Paul basically indicated he had no policy as far as he was concerned. Um, he does say in verse 14, doesn't nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. But there again, long hair is not defined. How, how long is too long? <laughs> what is the difference between short hair and long hair in terms of measurement? And Paul says we have no such custom and neither do the churches of God. Now, like I say, I think it's probably a good thing that we don't talk about it too much anymore because I, I, in all honesty, I know this is going to sound bad to some people, but I don't think the Lord is as concerned about our outward appearance as he is our inward appearance. And certainly when our inward appearance becomes what it should be, then our outward appearance will become more of what it should be. Amen? Amen. Okay, now tonight he goes on to another controversial subject, and this is the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. It's been around for as long as I have been around, and in fact it's been around even longer than that. And... Uh, I remember when I was a little boy, <laughs> one of the things I noticed is that the adults were partaking of the Lord's Supper, and every time I wanted to partake of it, they said, no, Warren, you can't participate because you haven't been baptized. And so I figured as a child, just as a six-year-old child, I figured I needed to get baptized so I could partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, I got baptized. But I, I got baptized for the wrong reason. <laughs> I wasn't really saved. I just wanted to participate in the Lord's Supper. That was not a good reason. Well, we find that when one is saved, genuinely, they should follow the Lord in Christian baptism. I got saved in 1969. November 1969, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And um, 
And, and you know, it was very difficult for me to make that decision. I wrestled with it for several weeks. Uh, I kept telling myself, well, you know, Warren, you don't really need to be baptized again because, after all, you were baptized when you were younger. And I kept telling myself, yeah, but, you know, I really wasn't saved then. I got baptized for the wrong reason. I just wanted to participate in the Lord's Supper. Well, what happened was um, I decided to go ahead and follow the Lord in Christian baptism right after I got saved. I figured that was the thing to do, and I'm glad I did it. I think that is the same advice I would give people today. If you have been saved uh, since you were baptized, that's something you need to do. You need to follow the Lord in Christian baptism. Baptism comes after the fact, not before the fact. Amen. Now, Paul has some instructions regarding the Lord's Supper at the church. He says, in the following instructions, I have no praise to offer. In other words, um, he's letting them know I've got something to talk to you about. It's not easy for me to talk to you about it, and it's not going to be complimentary. He said, I have no praise to offer because... Your gatherings do more harm than good. First, first of all, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. And indeed, there must be differences among you to show which of you are approved. Now, first of all, in this first part here, he's not talking about baptism per se. He's talking about the fact that in the church at Corinth, there were divisions in the church. It was not a unified church. And Paul knew that he had to address this issue because obviously a church that is not unified is a church that's not going to survive very long. So Paul knew that if the church at Corinth was going to survive, if it was going to have a future, it had to deal with the subject of unity in the church. That meant that divisions had to be eliminated. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> you hear about the motorist that goes down the road and he sees a sign, uh, Harmony Baptist Church, number one, ahead. And you're thinking, Harmony Baptist Church, number one, what does that mean? Well, a little further down the road, you see what it means. Harmony Baptist Church, number two, ahead. <laughs> you know, it's sad that a lot of times churches that appear to be harmonious end up splitting up. Now, I guess if there's a good silver lining on that, it's the fact that eventually you end up with two churches instead of one. But uh, in this case, it's not good at all. And apparently it was already causing havoc in the church, and that's why Paul said, I hear that when you gather together, it does more harm than good. He says, first of all, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. In other words, Paul said, this is what I've heard, and it's not just uh, what I've heard, I happen to believe it. And indeed, there must be differences among you to show which of you are approved. You know? And also we find that Christians in the church at Corinth, they had different loyalties. Some liked Apollos, 
some like Peter, some like Paul, some like someone else. This was not good. I, I always tell people, don't follow me too closely. Don't pattern your life after me. You need to pattern your life after Jesus. Uh, I mean, I wish I could say that I was without sin, but if I told you that, I'd be lying. And I'm trying to be honest enough to tell you that. Amen? Amen. Now we get to the subject of the Lord's Supper in verse 29. Or, uh, let's see, verse 20, actually. I didn't have my glasses on, I tell you. Now then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without sharing his meal. While one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have your own homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What can I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? No, I will not. For I have received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is my cup of the new covenant. My blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, what had happened apparently, from what I can gather here, is that at the Church of Corinth, people made it a habit to pig out at the Lord's Supper. You know, when they had the Lord's Supper, it was not just a matter of crackers and grape juice like it is in many of our Baptist churches. I mean, they had the Lord's Supper. Man, I tell you, they just pigged out. And there was seemingly nothing religious about it. And you had some that just ate like a hog. And then you had others who ended up getting nothing to eat at all. And this is why the Lord's Supper there at the Church of Corinth, it, it ended up being a big mess. Now, Paul indicated that you have homes, you have houses, eat there. Do your eating there. Don't come to the Lord's Supper with a humongous appetite. Because bearing in mind, eating a meal is not the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And he'll explain on that further in just a moment here. He says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Each one must examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
This is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. In other words, some of you have gotten sick, and some of you have even died, because they have partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Now, first and foremost, let me set the record straight. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is for us to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. That's first and foremost. We are to remember what Christ did on the cross. How he shed his blood for our sins, and then from there he um, rose up from the grave three days later after he died. He paid the price for our sin. That's what we need to be thinking about. And think about it this way. When you think about how much God loved you to do that, and when you think about this great undeserved gift of salvation which he gives us freely, then it should motivate us to become better, more mature Christians. And that's why he says that you should take this time also as a time of spiritual examination among other things, to see if there's sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Is there a brother or sister in Christ that you're at odds with? I'm thinking right now about this evangelist who has a radio broadcast on many radio stations around the country. And he has many... Christians in different churches that can't stand the ground he walks on. And there's other Christians he can't stand the ground they walk on. Now I tell you, these Christians and that radio preacher, they need to get together and they need to get things right with God. I'm not trying to judge anyone. That's why I don't mention his name on the air. If I did, some of you would know who I was talking about. Now Paul goes on to say in verse 31, Now if we judged ourselves properly, we would not come under judgment. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So my brothers, when you come together to eat and wait for one another, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. Now let me stop there for just a minute. He says, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. Now, I have known Christians in my lifetime. I'm thinking about one man in particular. And I don't know if he's still alive or not. If he is, he's probably 95 years old. But all throughout his life, he refused to go to any potluck dinners at the church. He would never go to an eating meeting at any church. And he based that practice of his on this one passage of scripture right here. He said, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you come together, it will not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give instructions about the remaining matters. In other words, uh, Paul is saying, this ain't all I have to talk to you about. And this is not all the issues I have with you. 
The rest will wait till I get there. But these are some that were big enough that I felt like I needed to deal with them now and hopefully give you a chance to do something about some of those issues before I get there. Now that brings us to the end of chapter 11. Now we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now here we come to the general overall subject of spiritual gifts. And uh, looking down uh, the chapter here, we can see that it's a fairly big chapter. I doubt that we will finish this particular chapter tonight, but we will at least get started with it. That way we won't have as much ground to cover in the next broadcast, at least in this chapter. Paul goes on to say, Now about the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. In some translations he says, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were influenced and led astray, by, led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I inform you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that Paul goes on to say, starting in verse 4, is that every one of us as Christians have different gifts in the Spirit. We all have different gifts in the Spirit. And I think everybody has at least one gift. I can't say that I believe there's any such thing as a Christian without a gift. I think every Christian has at least one gift. I know of some Christians who I believe have multiple gifts. For example, I remember back in my Christian radio days when I was working at radio station WBSN while a student at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, um, I can tell you that back in those days, we had a young man who headed up the radio station ministry there. And I honestly believe with all of my heart that he had the gift of administration. The gift of administration. He had the ability to see to it that the radio station, for example, was well-organized, well-administrated. And in fact, to this day, I, I don't recall being around anybody that had a greater ability to organize something than, than did my friend there in New Orleans. And I regret to inform you, as far as I know, he died back in 2007, just a couple of years after Hurricane Katrina. But he was a man, he was not a preacher, professionally speaking. But I can tell you that he loved the Lord. And he made quite an impact on the Christian community there in New Orleans. And I think he was devastated. 
the last two years of his life, he was devastated at how much ground Christian ministry had lost there in New Orleans following Katrina. Of course, now to be honest with you, there was great loss everywhere, not just in the Christian community, but New Orleans as a whole was very hard hit, and most people knew it was going to take a long time for things to get back to normal in New Orleans, but it did. And that's because, among other things, I mean, I, I have spent four and a half years of my own life living in New Orleans at one time, so I know that the people of New Orleans are very resilient people. And I knew that if anybody could bounce back for Katrina, it was the people of New Orleans. Amen. Now, Paul says, starting in verse 4, There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different ways of working, but the same God works all things and all people. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. The message of wisdom. Now think about this. Um, wisdom is a wonderful thing. Um, knowledge is a wonderful thing. Uh, some of my friends went on to be very well accomplished in the world of academia. Uh, one of the best friends that I have as a Christian for many years has been in a leadership role at a very fine Christian university here in the southeast. I have another friend that's also had experience leading universities and serving as a professor here in the southeast. And so the spirit of wisdom, or the message of wisdom, is quite a gift to have. And I imagine a professor, for example, at a college or a seminary, when he looks back over his ministry as he gets toward the end of his ministry, he thinks about all the young ministers he has helped to train as they came along. And I'm sure he takes great pride in that, and rightfully so. To another, the message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, faith, of course, is something all of us as Christians need to have. We know that. But some people seem <laughs> to almost specialize in walking by faith. Their faith is not only contagious we become amazed at how they work in faith for the Lord. It's just amazing. <laughs> I have seen people do great things and seemingly without the resources to do it, but they knew that some way, somehow, God would provide the resources that they needed as they needed them. He says, uh, to another, the gifts of healing. Now, I think here about the medical profession. I am very thankful for doctors and nurses and 
it seems that I spend more time now that I'm retired, I spend more and more time in a doctor's office. And so I've become more and more acquainted with the role of doctors and nurses all across the Greenville area where I live. And I thank God for the years of expertise that they have. And many of these have done such a fine job taking care of me. But now I also believe there are ministers out there who have quite a ministry in the area of healing. They pray for the sick and the sick recover. I believe that's a legitimate ministry. Now I believe it ceases to be a ministry when you allow it to become a show. God doesn't put on a show. He never has, he never will. But I do believe that God still heals people today. To another, the working of miracles. And once again, I believe miracles happen today just like they did long ago. I don't think they necessarily happen as frequently as they used to because we don't need miracles to the degree that we used to. It used to be, for example, when the disciples would perform miracles, it was really a sign of authentication. Because back in those days, they did not have a complete Word of God. I believe what we have today as Christians is the complete Word of God. And the complete Word of God becomes our authority, therefore we don't need miracles on the scale that we once did. But yes, we still continue today to have miracles. To another, the gift of prophecy. Now, the gift of prophecy here is a very interesting gift. The word prophecy here is a very interesting gift. Now, some ministers that I know specialize in talking about what they think is going to happen, prophetically speaking, out yonder in the future. That's what they talk about. They say, well, this is what's going to happen in the future. Amen. And then we have others who simply preach. Now, I believe preaching is also part of the gift of prophecy. I, I happen to believe that I, for one, have the gift of prophecy. Because the Lord has given me, I believe, the gift of preaching. To another, distinguishing between the spirits. Distingu distinguishing between the spirits. Other versions or translation might call that the gift of discernment. To another, speaking in various tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit who apportions them to each one as he determines. In other words, God knows what he call, has called you to do. And I believe that God has equipped you and programmed you to do that which he has called you to do. Now, I believe that, like I say, the gift of prophecy would be one of the gifts that I believe I have. More specifically, the gift of preaching. And then, on top of that, there would be the gift of teaching. Preaching and teaching. That's what this ministry, Sunshine USA, is all about. 
And I believe that God has very uniquely equipped me to do the very work that I'm doing. Now we come to the body of Christ. The body is a unit, though it is composed of many parts. And although its parts are many, they all form one body. In other words, uh, you have an eye, two eyes actually. You have two ears, you have a nose, you have a mouth. You have two arms, you have two legs, and I'm, I'm talking about most people here. You have a body with many parts, but yet it's one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. So here Paul is making it clear that when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to being part of the body of Christ, this is a message that applies to Jew and Gentile alike, not just to the Jews, not just to the Gentiles, but Jew and Gentile alike. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a foot, or because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make any, it le any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were near, where would the sense of smell be? In fact, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them, according to his design. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, you know, it's very interesting. When you take a look at the makeup of the church, Let's say your church has 80 members. That would probably put it closely in line to be the average-sized church in America. Now, I know that you have these so-called super churches, but those are not most churches. In fact, many people that used to go to a megachurch have returned to the smaller churches. It's a very interesting find right there. But when you walk into the average church... God has brought to that church people who have many different abilities, many different talents and gifts, and they are uniquely qualified to do different things. And chances are, whatever God has called that church to do, God has already brought to that church the people that are needed for that church to effectively do the work that God has called on that to do. Paul goes on to say here in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor the head say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
and the parts that we consider less honorable, we treat them with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with special modesty. Whereas our presentable parts have no such need. But God has composed the body and has given greater honor to the parts that it lacks, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have mutual concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now this is something, by the way, we need to see more of in our churches across America today. We need to see more churches out there that have a godly concern for each and every member, members who care about other members. If somebody's going through a hard time, don't judge that person. Minister to that person. Love that person. Care about that person. That's the Jesus thing to do. And then we talk about the greater gifts. Now, you know, it's kind of funny. Whatever gift you have, unless you're very humble and you try really hard to be more of the Christian that you know you need to be, there's a pretty good chance that you find yourself thinking, you know, I like this gift that I have in the Spirit. And I think that makes me more important than somebody else. No, 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 not at all. We have to understand that regardless of the gift that you have, regardless of what you do in the church, nobody is more important than anybody else. First of all, we understand that God loves everybody in the church. And secondly, everybody is important. And contrary to what you might think, all are essential. And let me also include the fact the church is essential. We got some states in, here in the United States that need to learn that. The church is essential. I thank God that we live in a state that respects the fact that the church is essential. Here in the state of South Carolina where I live, we have a governor that recognizes that the church is essential. The legislature is in the process of drafting up legislation that will protect the essentiality of the church in future pandemics. And I think that is a great thing. Paul says in verse 27 here, Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a member of it. And in the church God has appointed first all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, those with the gift of healing, helping administration in various tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now, Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way. And of course, that's his lead-in to chapter 13, which we will take up on the next broadcast. The next podcast will take up with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
also known as the love chapter. <laughs> now some of you are therefore going to love chapter 13. Amen. But think about it this way. Not all of us have the same position in the church. For example, you know in the church we have some that are pastors. But is everybody a pastor? No. Now by the way, let me just say one thing here when it comes to church administration. I think every church should have a senior pastor. I was talking to somebody at one church and they said their pastor, their church has five pastors. And I said, well, who's the lead pastor? They said, nobody. We just have five pastors. And I said, well, who decides what gets done? Well, they have a policy. If they don't all agree on something, it don't get done. I said, uh, I see trouble with that kind of a design. I don't consider that a biblical way of administrating a church. Amen. <laughs> but I'm not going to harp on that. That's a subject for another time. But anyway, next time we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For some reason, my smartphone doesn't want to focus on that, but it's the love chapter. And I promise you that will be an exciting chapter for us to take a look at, and we'll take a look at that on the very next podcast. Now, I want to say that I do have two email addresses. If you would like to email me any Bible study questions, if you would like to email me any uh, prayer requests, I would love to hear them. And uh, if you give me permission, I'll be glad to share these with our radio audience and podcasting audience. Uh, to me, there's something powerful about knowing that Christians all over America and Christians all throughout the world are praying for you and for whatever needs and problems you have. I just think that's a marvelous thing. I think that prayer is just totally awesome. I think that prayer is totally powerful. I really do believe that prayer changes things. I've, I've seen God do things as a result of prayer that could not have happened any other way. Like I say, I still believe in miracles. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. This is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.